0: So I want to have a little bit of fun today, some, some creative interpretations with you, all right? So first we have to, I have to ask this question, who knows what this is? The bat phone. You got it, man. <laughs> you got it. The bat phone, I want you to notice it. It's under glass, there's no <coughs> dial or keys or numbers, we have one singular button, and you'll remember with the bat phone when in need commissioner Gordon could simply press that button on the other end of the bat phone was Batman. Batman. Batman right that's the way it works see direct connection no no interference quickly easily crime was eradicated it was an amazing thing now i have often thought to myself how incredible would it be to have one of those with God Amen. wouldn't it now it would be the God phone okay it would probably be gold because God likes gold. We can see that actually by the way this we must note I must recognize Miranda what do we have here? Priestly vestments down to the pomegranates and bells. Miranda's going to know more about the Torah by doing these flowers than I will ever know. <laughs> Beautiful work, Miranda. Anyway, think about it. When time, You're in a tough situation, right? Something happens, you need something, you just simply lift the case, call God, Answer given, right course of action taken. And in this case, you could literally say, God told me. How amazing, right? And how outrageous, how, how silly, a God phone, right? And then you read the Torah portion this week. And you realize that tucked in with all of the vestments and the the turquoise and the scarlet and the turbans and the robes and the gold, we find that Israel actually had one. (laughs) Did you know it? They did. It wasn't actually a phone, but it was indeed a communication device with direct access to the Most High God. A holy, telegraph, Morse code-ish, light-up thing that you could approach God and get answers from. And it has a name. In, in, in the South, here's how we say it. Ready? The Orem and Tumim. The Orem and Tumim. In Hebrew, it sounds a little bit better. The orim and the tumim. And I want to teach you about it today and what in the world it might have to do with you and your own God phone. The orim ve'tumim, can we just call it the U and the T from here on out? Because there's going to be a lot of talk about this, this, this thing. Now, first of all, Who knows what I'm talking? Who doesn't know? Either way, there's no way I can ask that question. Good. Who knows what I'm talking about? The orim and the Tumim. Okay, good. Well, I wouldn't actually, if you didn't, it wouldn't be a big surprise. It's only mentioned four times in the Torah. It's mentioned eight times in the Bible, the whole Bible. Four of the times it's mentioned, it's about somebody who wasn't supposed to be using it or couldn't use it. We find this one little verse tucked in Exodus 2830. It's on the board there. And the breast piece of judgment you shall put the Orim and the Tumim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. First, what do you need to know? You need to understand something called the Hoshin, which is the breastplate right? We're talking about the priestly garments. The breastplate, I'm sure you've seen pictures of the breastplate. Now, it, the hoshan, it's a square garment, it's made of this intric, in, intricately woven fabric set with twelve stones each engraved with the names of one of the twelve tribes. And that's very important by the way. Now we often, you, you picture it in many pictures it's some metal like shield of armor thing that the priest that's that's not at all what it was it's what we just looked at a fabric int- intricately woven fabric folded over into a pouch it made a pouch gold rings connected it to the ephod of the priest's garments okay with this pouch in mind we can understand the orim and tumim. <clears throat> A lot of people, I think, when we, when we think of something like the orim and Tumim, we, th- we think of this old, like, remember? <laughs> not today. Ah, rats. That's not what it was. It was not a garment. It was not a device. It was a piece of parchment upon which was inscribed the name of God. Now, this is Judaism. There are other opinions. Some opinions suggest that it actually has, the, it's the stones themselves or, or part of the breastplate. But we're going with this opinion today, which is a pretty well-founded opinion. A piece of parchment with the name of God that slid into the pouch of the breastplate of the high priest. Okay, But, you know, a folded piece of fabric with a piece of parchment inside, that doesn't seem very cool. But this thing had a lot of power. A lot of power. Even the name, even the name is powerful. We get the word, the urim. It's from the word or, or if you're saying it in Hebrew, or. Say it. Or. Right, you got to roll that R. I'm not very good at it. Oh, which means light. Okay? There's another possible uh, word, meir, which means clarified. I think it's from the same root as as light. But orim is drawn from the concept of light, or like shining light, clarifying light. Tumim comes from the word tamim, or tam, which means perfect, complete. So even the name itself, Urim Tumim, means perfect clarity, shining light, revealed, you know, cool things, complete, complete clarity. Now, because with this parchment in the breastplate, here's what happened. Certain people could approach to ask certain questions. The stones... The letters on the stones, in essence, would would illuminate or, in some way, be able to be read by the priest, who would then take the letters, put them together, and derive an answer for all of Israel. Okay? Who could come and ask the questions? Only certain people. A king a head of the court of justice, a priest appointed for war, a key national leader. What kind of questions could be asked of the orim, the tumim? Emergencies. Cases of national peril. Okay? So in other words, you couldn't go to the orim and tumim and say, listen, Hashem, I got a couple of offers. There's the shepherding gig over here or the farming gig. Which one? (laughs) It was very special to approach. Okay? Could any priest interpret? No, not really. Only a priest through whom the Holy Spirit spoke and upon whom the Shekhinah, the presence, rested. That, those were the parameters around it. So it's not exactly the God phone. It's not as if everyone had access. access. But there's something strange about it, as if the whole thing we're talking about is not already a little bit strange, right? But there's, there's a unique thing. Where did it come from? Okay, the, the Torah portion this week, Tetzaveh, is about the, primarily about the priestly garments. If you did not see Darren's five-minute Torah this week, he did a phenomenal job with graphics and illustration. not ju- he, he talked about the vestments, but he also had a wonderful commentary at the end. I encourage you to look uh, at the five minute Torah on Shalom But the priestly garments, quick Torah test, what are they? I'm sure everyone read the Torah portion and memorized them. What are the priestly garments? Start at the top. The turban, okay. The ephod, the tunic, the sash, and the breastplate. Now, that's six of eight, okay? These are, these are literally the vestments. There are two more. There's the special gold band, and which is not really like a garment. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a symbol. And then you have the thing that we don't even really talk about that much because they're not that cool and holy. His underwear, the breeches, the, the, the pants, the breeches. So there are eight actual parts of the priestly vestment. Now, who are these garments made by? This is an easy one. Who are these garments made by? The Torah tells us very plainly. God says, "...all the wise-hearted people whom I have invested with a spirit of wisdom..." They are the ones who are going to make the tabernacle, the priestly garments. We know some of them by name. Bezalel, the holy of, those guys, anointed. And there's a lot, a lot of instruction given about how to build the tabernacle and the priestly garments and the threads and the colors and everything imaginable is spelled out there. But let me bring up that scripture once again about the U and the T. Inside the breastpiece of decision you shall place the urim and the tumim, so that they are over Aaron's heart when he comes before Adonai. Thus Aaron shall carry the instrument of decision for the Israelites over his heart before Adonai at all time. There's no instruction. There's nothing about it. It just appears. There's no indication of where it came from, what it does, how to use it, how it got there. Nothing. And you look at all the rest of the things, and it's incredibly detailed, right? So, and, and, and the craftsmen, you never hear anything about the craftsmen interacting with this thing. It just appears. So, this is something that Judaism draws an incredibly cool connection, once again, with Moses and God. Where did it come from? Moses wrote it. Moses got the instruction from God for the Urim and the Tamim. Now, so listen. He wrote the name of God. He inserted it into the the fold. The Torah, Judaism anyway, reads this and says, that section of Scripture, 2830, that's speaking directly to Moses. And you shall place the Orem and Tamim, okay? So think about this, this is a side note. If, when, we ever find this thing, it's going to have Moses handwriting on it. That'll be cool, right? But what I want you to understand about it is, in order for this incredible source of knowledge directly from God to get to the people it had to come from God through a very very special individual who could then instruct the people in its use and that was one very special dude by the name of Moshe he had a he had that he he contained the holy spirit in a very unique way didn't he we know it read on Numbers 11, he takes some of the, the spirit that's on him and gives it to the elders temporarily. It, it comes back. But <clears throat> sadly, the orim and the Tamim were lost, not, not lost. Here's, here's one tradition King Josiah, the righteous king, saw what was coming, whether through prophetic insight or just simply looking around at his country and saying, oh my goodness, we're doomed. That sounds familiar. He decided then that he would take the special holy parts of the temple and hide them away, along with them, the Orim and the Tamim. So, gone. This thing was not in the second temple anywhere. We didn't have it. Now, wouldn't it have helped had it been in the second temple? Can you imagine how many crises might have been averted had you been able to go directly to God. Even today, actually, it'd be nice to have had it, to know how to deal with what's happening in Israel. But we don't. It was lost. The God phone went away. Or did it? I mean, in the most literal sense, yes, we no longer have it. We don't have a high priest. We don't have a breastplate. We don't have the temple in, in Jerusalem. But let me point out something. We talked about how the Orim and Tumim served as the... the it, was, it was, in essence, the fuel for the breastplate to be able to bring forth the message. Okay? What, I would ask you, is the... Where did the Orim and tamim get its power? If it fueled the breastplate... Gave it what it needed to communicate. Where was this piece of parchment with God's name getting its power from? The answer will surprise you. From Jewish, not Christian sources, the Urim and Tamim derives its power from the Ruach HaKodesh from the Holy Spirit. There's a very uh, grave misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit that it was never in the Old Testament and it like showed up with Jesus and all of a sudden there it was. No, Moses had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is functioning in this way from God to his people to communicate. That That was the fuel, okay? God communication device, giving good instruction to those who were capable of of asking for it. But that was gone. Yet, in the second temple period, in a very different yet incredibly cool way, this ability shows up again, powerfully, in a way in which we all became beneficiaries. Stick with me for this. We learn That when studying this mysterious parchment with God's name written on it, placed into the fold of the Choshen, the breastplate on his heart, it functioned, it communicated to the interpreter by the Ruach HaKodesh. This is what the sages teach. So just think about that for a second. Thanks to Moses and his relationship with God, in unique cases, the people received instruction. Now consider this. At a time in Israel's history, during the second temple period, when we were in absolute crisis, Judaism was at each other's throats between all of the sects. Roman sects, S-E-C-T-S. The the, uh, Roman occupation is there. There's so much going on, factions and fighting. No Urim and thummim to consult. But one like Moses shows up. An even more unique connection with God. Supremely special spiritual insight and knowledge. Direct connection. As a matter of fact, he even, in a sense... Might you guess who I'm talking about, by the way? He even, in a sense, held the name of God within him, right? He did. And he returns at a time when Israel desperately needs to hear from God. When we think about Yeshua, you you see some interesting things. John 17, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, right? Now we know what this means. You need to understand what the name means. It doesn't mean Jesus is saying, I am you, God. It's one of my favorite memes of Yeshua in the garden. Hey, Dad, it's me, you. That's not what it means to have the name. Okay, The name is a statement of it signifies authority, protection, identity. The concept of God's name encompasses his presence, his character, his power. When Yeshua says he's keeping his disciples in God's name, which he has been given, it means that he's he's keeping us by the power and character of God, which Yeshua embodies and manifests. That's the name that was given into him. But he has the name within him. Like the Orim and Tumim, the power of the name. Furthermore, in John 12, I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Where did he get his words? From God as the Father instructed him. Yeshua communicated directly with God. In turn, he told and taught the people, just as the Urim and Tamim brought forth answers from God. Where did Yeshua derive his power? Well, a a source of his power certainly was encountered at the Jordan River when the dove comes down and rests. And what do we have? The Ruach HaKodesh. And from there, he goes out and begins his ministry. Certainly, He was empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. So, the Urim and Tumim, powered by the Holy Spirit, Yeshua certainly powered as well by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a bigger problem. He went away too. We lost we lost that communication device in some sense. We, he went away. Ah, the twist. The amazing, wonderful twist. The fuel of the Urim Tamim, the source of Yeshua's power, was made available to us. All of us, right? In a, in, in a one-of-a-kind kind of way the power of the Spirit was made available to us the Holy Spirit's function as you heard the term paraclete right which means one who comes alongside, who guides, who teaches, who instructs, empowers. John 14, you'll know he dwells within you. That will be the purpose of the Holy Spirit, a permanent helper, a spirit of truth, guiding you, providing continuous presence. The helper, he says in John 14, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The purpose ensures that Yeshua's teachings continue to guide even in his physical absence. Absence and it happened in a sense before. I've already referenced it three times. Moses in in Numbers, he takes the spirit off of him and gives it to the elders, so that's temporary. Here, Yeshua takes and gives to indwell in a unique and powerful way. So get this connection. Your heart, okay? Elijah? <laughs> You're early. The Seder's two months away. The, your heart is the breastplate, okay? With its, with its folds and cavities. You got a little pocket here in your heart. Your alignment with, your dedication to, your faith in the faithfulness of Yeshua. Who, how he contained the essence of God, his name, so to speak. Now that dwells in your little pocket, in your heart. And from there, as we seek wisdom from God, answers, direction, the Holy Spirit provides it to us. And in Messiah, we have this permanent, unique version of, loosely, our own little orim ve'chatumim. One problem. Now, wait, wait a minute. You want to talk about inviting Jesus into your heart, huh? I love it. (laughs) There's a problem. The, The system is not perfect because in some sense it still relies on interpretation, doesn't it? it really does the spirit is perfect the direction is perfect the process is perfect but the interpreter and the interpretation can still get messed up with the urim and the tumim i told you before the cohen who consulted it was to be speaking through the holy the holy spirit speaks through him the very Shekhinah rests upon him he was supposed to be a special guy with proper interpretation pure of heart pure of motive and there was room, though, for misinterpretation. There's a funny story, not a funny story, it's a, it's a, it's a little snippet from the Vilna Gaon, which gives an example of how the Urim and Tamim are misinterpreted. It has to do with Hannah. You remember Hannah and the high priest Eli and his son, her son, who would be Shmuel? And she went... And he's watching her, and she's in desperate prayer. And what does he think? That she's drunk, okay? He consults the Orim and the Tumim. The letters emerge from the Orim Tumim, which he takes and orders into a word that means a drunken woman. Sadly, it turns out. He misinterpreted, spelled the word wrong. It meant a wholesome woman. So the interpretation and the interpreter matter. Now, how incredibly relevant is that to us and the Holy Spirit? Right? Paul, I got a word for you. The Lord told me, you need to be doing this. Holy Spirit revealed it to me. God told me how much abuse of the Holy Spirit has taken place because the message is misinterpreted and the interpreter is off. A lot, I can tell you, a lot. And there's ridiculous things that occur in the body of believers supposedly fueled by the Holy Spirit. So, it matters, but the opportunity is there for us. That's the thing that we must understand in this unique and completely cool Orim Vitumim sort of kind of way. This metaphorical interpretation I'm giving you, but it illustrates this beautiful thing from the transition of the physical breastplate orim tamim to to the work of messiah you want to talk about what has messiah ever done for me well that's a pretty big thing he he placed this within your breastplate and it guides you right now interestingly and and i'll i'll conclude here the orim and tamim factor into the eschatological hopes of judaism very much so why Because all of the the great hope is that the temple will be rebuilt. The third temple, and along with that comes the priesthood, and along with that comes the parts of the temple, including the urim atumim. But here's an interesting thought. If Messiah is there, we don't need it. Because he's making all the right decisions. He literally has the God phone. And he will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. The nations are coming up. War and fighting have gone away. The temple is restored. So here's what I kind of imagine is like, you know, we have this beautiful framed, a framed like shadow box. Inside of it is the parchment, the Orim Tumim, with Moses handwriting on there. You ever been to the Hard Rock Cafe or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You walk in and right here, placed on a prominent place in the temple. Look, it's Moses' signature on the Orim Tumim. Because, you know, or maybe, or maybe, because it completes the set it will still be tucked into the breastplate of the priest. Who knows? Who can know these things, right? But until then, this, the orimentim, certainly incredibly cool, mysterious, literally mentioned in the Torah. It's not made up. It's not, it's not, it's not Kabbalah. It's not mystic, it's it's there, though I love mysticism in Kabbalah, but that's not what this is. It's there, and we learn about it, and we see how it's to be used. They were part of the high priest's garments, divinely ordained connection, and how beautiful to see this connection here, the uniquely connected Redeemer, Yeshua, who was to come according to Moses in him so it turns out we have been given our own connection that's a gift that's a big deal to help you navigate this life in your own situations no it's not as clear as picking up the god phone and seeing if you should take that job or this one or deal with all of life's problems It's still, you know, it's it's not that, the light up stones and interpreter. But the truth is, that's your job. That's your job in this way. Do your best. Do your best like the high priest who was supposed to be seeking holiness and, and, and having the presence of God resting upon him. Strive to be like that. So that you're able to hear what the Spirit communicates to you, your own Urim Vitumim directly speaking to you. Make sure your God phone is charged up, turned on, getting signal, my friends. Because Batman can't help you in this life. But an incredible connection with the creator of the universe can take you a long, long way. Shabbat Shalom. Please visit our website shalomMacon.org to learn more about us, join our live services, access other teachings, sign up for our newsletter, join our private network that will connect you with our greater community from around the world, or contribute to the work of Shalom Macon. Thank you for watching, and we look forward to connecting with you.